Psalm 23. I'm going to read it, pray briefly, and then we'll begin. Psalm 23, Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our great shepherd of the sheep, I pray that you'd meet us this morning. I pray that you'd deal kindly with us and that we would see even the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us with your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, um, on my, our recent sabbatical to the UK, I, I actually spent some time in deeper study and meditation on Psalm 23. And to that end, I was immensely helped uh, by my friend David Gibson's book, The Lord of Psalm 23. Uh, so for any new uh, insights, I have him to thank, I think, and those to whom he refers. David, a pastor at uh, Trinity Church in Aberdeen uh, in Scotland, uses the late Old Testament scholar Alec Motier's outline for the psalm. Now, many people see only two metaphors in the psalm, the shepherd in verses 1 through 4, and then the host in verses 5 to 6. But Motier sees three. He sees the shepherd with his sheep in verses 1 to 3. He sees the companion with his traveler in verse 4, and he sees the host with his guests in verse 5 to 6. The Lord as shepherd is the dominant image throughout, but the other images show aspects of his care. The shepherd is the companion, is the host. And so, Lord willing, uh, I'd like to preach a series of three sermons on this psalm uh, over the next couple of months based on the three images. The Lord, my shepherd, the Lord, my companion, and the Lord, my host. And underpinning these three images are three great confessions that run through the spine of the psalm. I shall not want, I will not fear, and I shall dwell. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he is my companion, I will not fear. And because he is my host, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You do have an outline uh, maybe in your bulletin. I hope you do. You may want to follow along as we go through. For most Christians, Psalm 23 is a very familiar psalm written by King David. In fact, it's a familiar psalm, isn't it, to those who aren't Christians as well. I actually tried it out with uh, some folks of, of my extended family this week. I said to them, complete the sentence. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They got it right, every one of them. Its familiarity is actually due in no small part to be, it being classed very much as a funeral psalm. But actually, only one out of the six verses mentions death. 
You see, this psalm is about living. It's about living as a believer. It's more about the abundance of joy in life than the sadness in death, even during dark valleys. It's about having life, whether you're in plenty or whether you're in difficulty. Therefore, this familiar psalm is unfathomable in its meaning and relevance to any Christian in any place and in any time because every Christian lives in Psalm 23. It's a picture of our pilgrimage. It's the roadmap of our life of redemption. If you're a Christian today, you're living in Psalm 23. It's a familiar psalm. Familiarity doesn't always breed contempt, but sometimes it can diminish our appreciation and maybe even lead to some misapplication. So I hope that as, as we walk slowly through this series of messages, it's going to be like visiting a, a beloved friend where you just learn a little bit more about them each time you visit them. And my prayer is that a, a lingering walk is going to give us enough time to pause at points and uncover some hidden gems that enrich its preciousness to you and me. Because this familiar psalm is also a precious psalm. It's a precious psalm. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 23 the pearl of the psalms. He said, its piety and its poetry are equal. Its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. And perhaps we can say that its preciousness uh, to so many of us is found in the 13 assurances for the believer in only six verses. From the Lord is my shepherd to I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But also what makes it so precious is it's found in the fact that it's a most personal psalm, isn't it? It's very personal. The preciousness is found in the intimacy of the personal pronouns. In the my's and the he's and the me's and the I's and the you's that permeate the psalm. My shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie. He leads me. He restores me. I walk. I will not fear. You are with me. You prepare a table for me. You anoint my head. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I shall dwell. It's worth noting how the intimate he-me language at the beginning of the psalm turns to you-me in the valley of the shadow of death. As Alec Motia says, the darker the shadow, the closer the Lord. Friends, the preciousness of this psalm lies in its personal nature. It's balm for the soul. Here, in this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not anyone's shepherd. He's not even our shepherd. Here, he's my shepherd. It reminds me of the story from centuries ago about a boy in the highlands of Scotland some of you may have heard it. He was orphaned, and his Christian grandfather, a shepherd, took him in and brought him up. He taught him about the Lord, but the boy had le never learned to read or write, so his grandfather taught him the first five words of Psalm 23 by taking the boy's left hand and assigning a word to each finger. The Lord is my shepherd. I was teaching that to my grandson earlier this week. You can do it with your kids. The Lord is my shepherd. 
Well, as, as the boy grew, um, the grandfather not only taught him about the Lord, he also taught him how to shepherd. And one day when the boy was out with the flock, a terrible snowstorm blew in, and it was so bad that the grandfather couldn't even make it out to find his grandson. He had to wait until the next morning. And when he went out, he finally found him. The boy had frozen to death in the snow. But as the grandfather looked closer, he noticed he was holding his hands in a peculiar way. The right hand had hold of the fourth finger on the left. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's so precious because it's so personal. But even more than that, I think what makes this familiar psalm a most precious psalm is the fact that it's a God-centered psalm. It's a God-centered psalm. This psalm is about God. It's not primarily about you. It's thoroughly God-centered. And this is what you need, brothers and sisters. You, you might be feeling many things this morning. Some of you may be in very deep pain indeed. Some very, very fearful. You might be confused or perplexed angry even perhaps, but you don't need to focus on what you feel. You need to focus on what you know. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. Now you're talking. You've got truth outside of yourself that you can cling to and you can get your feelings under the control of the scriptures and have them rewired and redirected, centered on God. He is your hope. Not the way you feel about yourself and your circumstances. And that is with full acknowledgement that your feelings and your circumstances are very real and very painful at times. You see, the heart of Psalm 23 is that the Lord takes absolute responsibility for us. He supplies my every need by His shepherd care. The language is active. It's causative language. Look at it. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He is with me. He prepares a table before me. Do you see that? The Lord is active. The first line is the whole psalm, if you like, in a nutshell. It's the shortest verse in the psalm. Four words in the Hebrew. I could end the sermon after reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's it. Drop the mic. No need for anything else. Maybe some of you are wishing that I actually had finished after reading the first verse. But there is a need to continue, isn't there? David continues, and as he continues, he unpacks in the rest of the psalm what the total care of the Lord looks like when he takes complete responsibility for us. So verses two to six expound verse one. And so for the remainder of our time, I wanna begin our journey slowly through the psalm. And to start, I want to, to see something beautiful but frequently missed. Something beautiful but frequently missed. Often, we move to the imagery in the psalm way too quickly and we miss the most important thing. We want to get to what the shepherd does for me instead of dwelling on who the shepherd is. We need to pause at the opening. Psalm of David, pause. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We're all following someone for provision, protection, direction, and care. 
in our world today, perhaps people say, Google is my shepherd, I shall not want. The internet provides my every need. Or how about social media? Facebook or Twitter or Instagram is my shepherd, my guide, my sense of satisfaction, my wisdom for living. We live in a world of followers, don't we? As followers who are being shepherded by algorithms and gurus of all sorts. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Notice in your Bibles, the Lord is in all capitals. It refers to Yahweh, the covenant name of God. It's the name God reveals to Moses in the burning bush. Do you remember the verse in Exodus 3? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The bush was a picture, if you like, of God's name. I am who I am. God's name is being, B-E-I-N-G. God is. That's it. I am who I am. He is the self-existing, self-sufficient one. He is independent of all other life because he has life in and of himself. His name is his essence. It's what theologians call his aseity. And David is saying, that is who my shepherd is. And that is why I shall not want for anything. Because when I am is your shepherd, you lack nothing. You see, the second part of the parallelism in verse 1 is a consequence of the first part. So how are you feeling about the future? Fearful? Excited? Confused? Hopeful? Maybe a bit worried? Brothers and sisters, there is nothing sweeter that you can know or hear this morning than the Lord is my shepherd. And he says to you, I am outside of time. Before you were, I am. And when you are gone, I will be. And I, I will shepherd you through this life. We all lean on people, don't we, in life? Even the knowledge that they are simply there. It's a source of comfort to us, isn't it? Your parents, maybe. They've always been there. But as you age, your parents age, and one day they die and a significant pillar in your life is gone. It could be a spouse or a child or a best friend from which we draw comfort in this life. And when they're gone, the pain is deep, isn't it? But David says, I have a shepherd, the Lord, the I am, who has no need of anyone, who just exists, who will never die, and he will never be gone from underneath me. And with infinite love and wisdom and power, he supplies my every need. The one who is strength, who is wisdom, and who is love is for me. Every need is met. And yet, as some have said before, you don't realize God is all you need until God is all you have. And that is what our trials and our losses in life teach us, isn't it? That only God can supply all we need. So God is all we need. I'm called to shepherd my wife as her husband, but as much as I love her, I can't supply all her needs. I'm limited 
I am sinful. I could die tomorrow. And as much as I wouldn't want to leave my one true life in this life, love in this life, I could go in peace in the knowledge that the great I am is her shepherd, and therefore she will lack nothing ever. Friends, Psalm 23 begins with the Lord, and the psalm ends in the house of the Lord. So from start to finish, I'm completely surrounded by Him, united to Him, cared for by Him. From start to finish, He actively does something for me. So let's look at how David unpacks the complete care of the shepherd declared in the first verse as we look at the second verse. We see, He makes me lie down in green pastures. My shepherd nourishes and refreshes me. To grow healthy sheep, they need to be nourished in good pasture, don't they? And notice the shepherd makes them lie down. Sheep are notorious for not lying down easily. They lie down after they are well-fed and well-secure. The Lord as shepherd feeds his sheep and then he says, stay in the good pasture, lie down in it. He doesn't force feed them, but he provides the food for them and then he says, now eat and lie down. And he says to you and me, little flock, eat the word, chew on it, digest it. God nourishes his sheep with physical food, but also with spiritual food, with the word of God even. And that's the great task of pastoral shepherding ministry is to feed the sheep, to feed the sheep with the word of God. The pastor, a sheep himself, must feed on it, and then he feeds the sheep in his care. How do you know if your pastor loves you? He feeds you with the word of God in all circumstances, from the pulpit to crisis counseling to relational or career advice. And then David also says, he leads me beside still waters, literally meaning waters of many kinds of rest. So the picture here is, is of a shepherd in a hot, arid plain finding lush grass and shaded water, all culminating in rest. The shepherd wants his sheep to have complete physical, spiritual, and emotional rest. A refreshment that, that leads to peace, you see, and rest in him. What, what is it? That, that will help you lay your head on the pillow at night and sleep in these days. It's knowing that the, the Lord upholds the universe with the word of His power and His shepherding mercies are new for you every morning. Knowing the Lord is my shepherd helps me sleep. And so there is a physical and emotional and spiritual rest for the well-fed sheep. Green pastures, and waters of rest, nourishment and refreshment. And it's a picture of, of timely nourishment and refreshment, isn't it? Just when we need it, he gives it. And it happens so often before those dark valleys come into our lives. My shepherd nourishes and refreshes me. Also, he restores my soul. My shepherd restores me. It literally means he causes my soul to return. That's what the language means. The Lord loves to restore wandering sheep. Where life runs low in one of his sheep, he loves to revive 
when the candle is, is flickering barely, or the coal is, is barely glowing. He loves to fan them into flame. He's in the restoration business, is our Lord, our shepherd. Soul restoration. And you can't help hearing echoes of David's own experience here. David, a, a man after God's own heart, slayer of Goliath, king of Israel, becomes David, involved in infidelity with Bathsheba, leading to the murder of her husband Uriah. And David knew what it was to wander from God and the riches of communion he enjoyed with his shepherd. And God brought him low. And it took time and it took a personal counselor in Nathan who would speak the truth in love to him. And, and David was then humbled and broken and contrite. And we read his words in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then we read, Restore, there's the word, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. The Lord restored to David the joy of He'd lost in the assurance of his mercy and care as he strayed. He arrested David and he turned him back from the path to apostasy. So David can say, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul when I fall. What a thing. Sheep wander, don't they? Last week I was looking after our two grandchildren uh, Amanda needed to go out for 40 minutes, and I like to keep the main thing the main thing, so I thought to myself, I've got 40 minutes to keep them alive. <laughs> to keep it simple. It was going swimmingly until my little grandson needed to go to the toilet urgently. They need to go, they need to go, right? So I put my granddaughter down, and I, 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 I rushed off with my grandson, but then I heard my granddaughter crawling at speed towards the stairs in the kitchen. So I rushed back and, and picked her up, but with her hands full, I couldn't get back to my grandson and help him in the toilet. Then all of a sudden, he's out and tearing around the house. And there were sheep wandering everywhere. And this shepherd, this old shepherd, was struggling to contain them. And it's true, isn't it? Sheep wander. And when they do, they, they get into trouble as they wander off right paths. And sometimes sheep simply wander off track and find themselves in ditches of emotional despair and depression. David knew what it meant to be cast down. Why are you so cast down, O oh my soul? He says in Psalm 43. There's an old English shepherding term uh, for a sheep who has rolled over on its back, usually from wandering into a ditch. It's called a cast or a cast down sheep. A cast sheep on its back is unable to right itself, can't get back on its, uh, its feet, and then it's, it's vulnerable to attack from predators, and because it's in that position, its abdomen begins to fill with gas in that upside-down position, and it's likely to die anyway. Philip Keller is a, a former shepherd who, who wrote a book on Psalm 23, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And in the book, he, he speaks of, of the restoring actions of a watchful shepherd and how he would himself spend hours anxiously looking for a cast sheep. And when he found it, how he would joyfully run to it and carefully set it upright on its feet. And he says in the book, 
All the time, I worked on the cast sheep. I would talk to it gently. Why, why, where are you going to learn to, to stand on your own feet? I'm so glad I found you in time, you rascal. And then Keller makes the point. Many people have the idea that when a child of God falls, when he's frustrated and helpless or in a spiritual dilemma, that God becomes disgusted, fed up, even furious with him. This is simply not so. Now, of course, the sins we commit, our wanderings, can displease God. The things David did, did displease God, but it didn't stop the Lord pursuing David with a shepherd's love and restoring his soul. If you are his sheep, he won't let you out of his shepherd's grip. He's coming after you with a shepherd's love. Is that you then, today, friend? Backslidden, in needing of restoration? Have you simply lost your, your spiritual crackle, your spiritual mojo? You know, you, you need reviving. Are you a wandering cast sheep, wandering from the fold, wandering from the shepherd's care, wandering from the sound of his voice so that it's only just a faint whisper? You're stuck in a ditch, upside down cast down. Well, let me tell you, there's hope for you. The Lord loves to restore wandering sheep. It's the story for all of us, isn't it? To some extent, we've all known the wandering and the restoring. And some of you here today who are stuck in a ditch, you need to realize the first thing you need to do isn't Go read your Bible more. Go pray more. Do better. Some of you today simply need to stop resisting the shepherd's restoring love. You need to realize you're stuck on your back and let your loving shepherd just set you right. He's not coming for you with a club to beat you, but with a kind hand to restore you. When I was in the UK over the summer, one of the uh, members of the church that we were attached to for a while there, I was doing some preaching there, older member, former pastor, Welsh, Welshman, former pastor of over 50 years of a church in, over in Wales. So he preached back in the day, he's retired now, he travels the world preaching, Jeff Thomas is his name, and he, he preached at the time of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was friends with the doctor. Many of us will know the, 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 the work of, of Lloyd-Jones. So I sat down with, with Jeff one morning and I said to him, tell me what the doctor was like. I expected him to say, what a great preacher he was. Instead, he simply said, what a humble, unapproachable man he was. He said, you felt you could tell him anything. He said on a Sunday night, when he'd preach twice during the day, he'd go to his office in the back of the, the chapel where he, he preached, and people would line up in the corridor to speak to him. And they would come in through his door, and some would, Doctor, I've, I've sinned so badly. Doctor, I, I don't even know if I'm a, I'm a Christian. And he would sit with them. He'd say, come, sit down. And he stayed with them until hope was restored. So friends, may we increasingly be the kind of people who will go to those who have messed up because we're keen to restore them, turning them back on the right path, 
to the true source of life, reviving the soul. Maybe be the kind of people to whom others will come for restoration when they've sinned against us because we forgive even as we've been forgiven and we look together with them and say, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores me and he restores you together. Sheep wander, but the shepherd is watchful. He restores me. And yet by the shepherd's care, my soul is restored. So now I am revived and I have strength. And then he guides me in his way. You see it there. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me. He doesn't drive me. He's in front. They're his paths. But restoration, you see, must lead to transformation. Wholeness of life is found in righteousness, friends. True happiness, if you like, is tied to holiness. And the more that you walk in right paths, the more you actually experience the restoration of soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness. What for? For his name's sake. You see, the shepherd ties his reputation to his sheep which is rock-solid assurance that he will keep us on the right paths and bring us back when we wander. It's for his name's sake. So ask the Lord, what is the right path according to your word, Lord? Where it's not clear in the Bible, there are principles to follow. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We go step by step asking the question, is this going to glorify God? For your name's sake, we live. Whatever is good for you, whatever is good for you, glorifies God. The fame of the sheep, you see, is irrelevant, but the shepherd's fame is everything. Are you on the shepherd's path of righteousness? Some people like the sentimentality of having the Lord as their shepherd. Even that way at funerals, so many times you hear this, texts read and people say oh yeah yeah but they don't want to be led by him they just want to go their own way think right now are you being tempted to stray from right paths maybe just thinking about it a little at the moment let me tell you the grass is never greener than in the lush meadows of the shepherd with his nourishing refreshing restoring guiding love So the pastoral question I ask is, is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? And if so, how close are you keeping to the one who provides all your needs and all the needs for all of his sheep? If you want all of your needs met, you must find it in relationship to the shepherd. There are good and bad things to want, but there is absolutely nothing that you need that time with the shepherd will not supply for you. The more you know him and spend time with him, the more restored your soul will be. So as we draw to a close this morning, what does it then mean to say, the Lord is my shepherd and therefore I am his sheep? Well, the shepherd and sheep imagery would have been very familiar to David who had been a shepherd. One commentator calls the the shepherd metaphor in Psalm 23 a loaded metaphor. 
Not just a metaphor, a loaded metaphor. In other words, it's loaded with Old Testament background meaning. From Abel to Moses. Abel, a keeper of sheep, yeah? To Moses, the shepherd-sheep relationship is there. In fact, Moses was a shepherd of Jethro's flock when the Lord appeared to him in that burning bush. And we can think, can't we, of, of Psalm 77 and that beautiful declaration of God's redemption of his people from the clutches of Pharaoh and God's shepherding his people. Listen to Psalm 77. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The metaphor points to the Exodus and God's shepherding the flock out of Egypt and through the wilderness towards the promised land, providing their every need on the way to rest. And so we can see echoes of Exodus in Psalm 23. In their book by that name, Echoes of Exodus, Alistair Roberts and Andrew Wilson say, David sang Exodus-shaped songs because from start to finish, he lived an exodus-shaped life. See, when David says, I shall not want, he's echoing the words of Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, when God says to his exodus people, these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Same phrase. So David's own experience of wilderness wanderings like the people of Israel in Moses' day is cast forth in this psalm, what it's like to be saved by the Lord and cared for him. The Lord supplying all of his needs, restoring his soul, protecting him in the midst of enemies, just as the Lord had done with David's ancestors in years past. And for you and for me, Psalm 23 is about what it's like to follow Jesus, our good shepherd through this wilderness in our exodus-shaped lives all the way home to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, in Mark chapter 6, remember Jesus tells his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Immediately you hear that, you know, desolate place, rest, wilderness, rest. But then Jesus sees these large crowds appear, doesn't he? Do you remember what Mark says next? He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so our Lord Jesus fulfills Psalm 23. He commands the people, here's the quote, to sit down in groups on green grass. And then he feeds them so completely, multiplying five loaves and two fish that there's just overflow of food and 12 baskets are, are left over. Remember, this happened on the back of Herod just killing John the Baptist and Jesus is preparing a table for his sheep in the midst of the enemy. And later, in the midst of his enemies, Jesus will prepare a table before his disciples and say, take, eat, my body given for you, my blood shed for you. And so Jesus can say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Psalm 23, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. But he is the shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. On the cross, Jesus cries out words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
So that Jesus experiences the forsakenness of Psalm 22 in order that we may experience the shepherd of Psalm 23. Listen to David Gibson. As the true, faithful, true Son of God, as the second Adam, as the greater Moses, as great David's greater Son, he carries out the true exodus in his life-giving death with the judgment and wrath of God falling on him as the Passover lamb instead of his sinful people. And in doing so, he leads us out of slavery to sin and to new life in him. And so you enter the sheepfold through Jesus, through trusting in the good shepherd, the good shepherd alone who died to save his sheep. Then you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. And brothers and sisters, as his sheep, you can now be sure of that promise in Isaiah. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And if that story from Scottish folklore is true, then the night that the shepherd boy died in the highlands, you can be sure that the good shepherd was with him, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And you can be sure that he came to the boy, gathered him up in his arms, and carried him not to his grandfather's home, but all the way home to heaven to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you're his sheep, and I hope you are today, his sheep, he will do the same for you so that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. I lack nothing. Great thing to be a Christian.